1160 The Quest welcomes you to Legislation Made Simple. Keeping you informed on political issues, primarily legislative issues in the Georgia General Assembly, but also some national issues that implicate the teachings of the church. Issues that are critical to restoring and protecting a culture that enables families to flourish and the kingdom of God to advance. Legislation Made Simple will also let you know how to get involved, how to get to know your state representatives and senators, and most importantly, how you can affect policy. Your hosts are Patty DeCraney and Jane Robbins. Jane is a retired lawyer, formerly with a D.C.-based organization called American Principles Project. Jane worked at the Georgia legislature and has maintained her connections there, so she's plugged in under the Gold Dome. Now let's begin Legislation Made Simple. The following program was recorded in February of 2023. Any mention of upcoming legislation is in reference to the legislative session that just ended in March. You can hear more about what happened in that legislative session by listening to the Legislation Made Simple episode titled Wrap-Up Report, which aired on April 1st, 2023. All episodes are available on the Quest Atlanta app or at thequestatlanta.com. Hello and welcome to Legislation Made Simple. My name is Patty DeCraney. And my co-host is Jane Robbins. Hi, Jane. Hi, Patty. Today, we're going to continue our examination of the transgender phenomenon with Dr. Quentin Van Meter. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. You enlightened us last week. And I know we'll continue today with more great information exposing this evil phenomenon that is an assault on our children and our grandchildren. As always, we'll begin with invoking the Holy Spirit and reading Holy Scripture. Together, let's pray. Come, Come Holy Spirit, Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. And today's scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear an article proper to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's dress. For anyone who does such things is an abomination to the Lord, your God. Jane, let's get started again um, and just with reintroduction of um, Dr. Van Meter. Okay. Last week, we discussed the transgender issue with Dr. Van Meter, a pediatric endocrinologist here in Atlanta who is the past president of the American College of Pediatricians. He explained for us the medical reality of gender dysphoria and the dangers of these so-called gender-affirming treatments, and we're going to continue with that discussion. So we're pleased to have him here again to discuss the recent developments with this phenomenon. So, Dr. Van Meter, last week you said that, especially looking at the not only the data from the United States but from Europe, that there are problems with these so-called gender-affirming interventions. So, And you had talked about the problems with puberty blockers, that the kids can end up with bone problems and all sorts of things because you're interrupting a natural bodily um, progression. So talk to us about the, the wrong sex hormones that are given to these kids and to the surgery. So what happens long-term to a child who undergoes those kinds of interventions? Well, we're, again, experimenting on children with a concept of uh, let's try this on and see what happens. We know from natural disease states uh, in childhood and adulthood 
that excessive amounts of uh, of the opposite sex hormones that occur from disease states uh, harm the body uh, irreparably. And an example is in adult women, PCOS, polycystic ovarian disease, overproduces testosterone-like uh, hormones within the female body, and it take it takes its toll on on the health of the woman, increased heart disease, uh, amongst other things, and propensity to, for cancers. And so we know from the natural disease states that the hormones of the opposite sex, biologic sex, in, in large amounts are, are harmful. They are there in physiologic amounts, low levels, and have some you know beneficent uh, properties to them as as the as the body goes through a life cycle, but. It's really it, the excessive amounts are, are known to be harmful. So that we have in the books from, you know, 60 years of medical literature. It's mm -hmm. not unquestioned. And the same endocrine society that's put out guidelines uh, expressing the, the need for us to hormonally change these children also produces guidelines on the harmful effects of excessive testosterone therapy in adult women. Same organization has two different guidelines opposing each other, but they, you know, that's just there in, in, in the right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we know that these aren't good. And on top of that, the levels that they're recommended to take a biologic male and have them appear as a female and the vice versa of the biologic female appearing as a male, they are hundredfold greater than the amounts of these disease states. Uh, occur. Oh, wow. So it's, it's just, it's, we're asking for trouble. We know that mm. we're inducing strokes in, in men. We're inducing breast cancer in men. We're inducing prostate cancer in men. We are inducing heart uh, disease in women. Uh, we're in clotting disorders in women from overproduction of, of red blood cells. These are, these are things that are, we already know happen in the adult world, and we're doing this to children. Uh, on top of that, if you take away the stimulus to the, the, the ovary or the testicle and replace it uh, with the hormones it would normally replace, it damages that, that, that gonad. It makes the, the child infertile. Uh, we do know that there are a couple of cases where uh, the hormones have been removed and the biologic uh, males who have uh, been, or, or rather biologic females who have been living in the role of a male can get pregnant upon occasion. And they'll, they'll, they'll celebrate, this is, you see, this is reversible. Uh, this man can be pregnant, okay, and deliver. And that, that makes New York Times head, headline stories and you know, national news morning programs. But you know, that's a rarity. You basically are on a pathway to sterility. Then you add on top of that the surgical procedures, which... Listen, before you get to that, let me ask you about one thing that you said, because I wanted to clarify, make sure the listeners understand. You said that all of these interventions are designed to make the patient look like the opposite sex. So Correct. you're saying you do not change your sex. There is absolutely no way to change your biologic sex. Z zero, you know, from the moment of fertilization, you are a biologic male or a biologic female. And to throw in the uh, those disorders of sexual differentiation as if it's a combination of two sexes is, is falsehood because those patients are biologically male or biologically female at the cellular level. There's one very rare case of a biologic uh, male who has no male differentiation whatsoever because of an inability to respond to testosterone in any cell in the body. And those individuals are born looking female, are identified as female. Their brains are functioning as female because they 
they basically have never, they can't see the hormones that are supposed to tell their body how to respond at any level. And that's such a rare case. Those are exceptionally rare cases. <laughs> but they're brought up right up front by the trans activists to say, sure. you see, this is, this is intersex. And this is a case where if you keep us from being able to treat our trans children, you'll, you'll kill these people, you know. And it's like, no, that's your your apples and oranges. You're bringing that in to try to to confuse everyone as if you're talking from science. Yeah, well, so well God does does not create a mistake. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right? He created male and female. So, getting back to the surgeries, what happens when a minor child or anyone, any young person? undergoes surgeries to look like the opposite sex? Well, all of the reproductive organs are removed, uh, and the breasts are removed in the biologic females. So the tissue is gone. Um, there's no function left. That They try to you know, preserve nerve endings so that there's you know, sensation in the surface of the nipple or in the area of the genitalia where, where you can be erotically stimulated. Those, they try to leave the nerves intact, but they're, they're basically creating people who have, no longer have sexual function. Mm-hmm. So they're sterile. They cannot procreate ever unless they preserved their their uh, sperm or their or their ova you know prior to the procedures and that's its own ethical issue right there um, but that's that's such an expensive prospect that that and the teenagers have no no clue they don't care about whether or not they're going to be able to bear children or that the the biologic females will not be ever ever able to breastfeed when their breasts are gone mm-hmm. um, you know you can try to do plastic re-repair and undo what was done but the function is forever lost or diminished so much that the, the the patient experiences a very tragic medicalized adult life as a result of the surgery uh, and it most often doesn't work the, there are complications of the wounds opening up and and you know the the body is not made to to be the opposite sex and so it it just basically does not work this makes a lifelong patient yes and again follow the money yeah, and well, the thing is that the the complications, those who have had complications, who come forward and say, the, the people that put me in this position surgically don't know what to do and don't care, and they just tell me to go away. Tragic. Last week we talked about increasing numbers of trans-identifying kids, but we didn't have time for the wide-angle look at some factors contributing to this. Could you talk a moment about the influence of social media? So social media is is where every child I have ever ever come to know, and personally as, as a physician who comes to me for, for care, everything they learn is from the social media. Um, and in the COVID era where they were stuck to their devices and didn't really have a, any chance to you know, necessarily, and they didn't really feel comfortable talking with their parents because this was a little like, you know, sort of clandestine, uh, you know, stuff they, they weren't comfortable. They found the, a connection with, you know, hundreds of other folks who, who would guide them and, and tell them happy mm-hmm. things and accept them for who they were. So we have a population of vulnerable kids in mid-adolescence. And this is the phenomenon that is where it's exploded exponentially. Uh, originally, before the, the year 2006 and seven, when clinics began to spring up here in the US, the incidence of transgender <laughs> identification was six out of 100,000 males and three out of 100,000 females worldwide. These were adults you know, who, who at, to this day are, are out there in the world uh, if they have not detransitioned. 
And today it's, you know, estimated in one school district in outside of Pittsburgh that 10 out of uh, 10 percent of the kids are transgender in, a, in, the, in the middle school classrooms. Ten percent. That that number is just mind boggling. Yeah. So you go from, you know, point oh three percent to 10 percent over a span of of 10 years. How does that happen? Well, social media helps it happen. And one of the it's a hot mm-hmm. button because when you even before you even mention that to somebody that you're talking to, the first thing they come back with is we're doing conversion therapy, we're phobic, and we are making up data. Social media has nothing to do with this. We proved it has nothing to do with this. So you, you go to the article which states that, and you look at the reference, and it's a reference to the same person having said the same thing someplace else. You go to that reference, and you mm-hmm. trace it back to just mm-hmm. it's the personal statement okay. of one of the trans activists. It has no basis whatsoever. These kids don't learn this stuff uh, by just reading Shakespeare and, and sonnets and, and uh, you know, right. Harry Potter. They, they don't, this is, this is right. not where you get those ideas. They're being fed. They're being fed these ideas. And on top of that, school counselors are proponents of this, okay? And they are the proponents of, I'm, I'm, I, you have an unhappy adolescent. I mean, adolescence is rough. It is okay? rough. It's That's rough right. on purpose. I think God designed it to put test us with fire and say, you know, this is where you're going. This is not easy. I, I'm going to throw in really bad acne. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> How about that? Okay. Right. And if you make it through that and you think well of yourself and you've suffered greatly, it's one of the trials you've you've won and you know, you're you're my child and thank oh. God I got you through this. You can handle anything. <laughs> right. Okay. Middle so it has a purpose. Years. Puberty That's is right. not a disease state. It is a process designed to carry us from innocent childhood to functioning reproductive adults so that's that's what it's for all right and so right. to say that you know that, that everything that they read is uh, at puberty is just a, a process we can interrupt and, and, and carry on and, and create you in a new image okay they're playing god uh and unsuccessfully i would also suggest that people go to the website of the i think it's called the american association of school counselors if you want to see what these school counselors are told they should be doing in schools, it will be eye-opening to yes. see some of their presentations and some of their resources. It's it's all LGBTQI plus affirmation all the time. And the thing is, the, the, the counselors are supposed to be there, and you, you see you know things happening, the whole sort of controversial um, t- series on, uh, on Netflix, uh, you know, suicide in, in an adolescent. Um, it showed in this day and age with, with social media how cruel things are and how, what happens to a, a child to isolate them and make them so miserable and depressed that they take their lives. And so that series was, uh, was there not, as, not to encourage people to be suicidal and to complete suicide, but to open the eyes of, of our generation to the fact that, that this communication unbridled in, a, in, an, in an area where they're so vulnerable, vulnerable with their own self-image being formed uh, that they, they – cry for help. And when they cry for help to the school counselor, this school counselor has an agenda right in front of them and say, oh, I think the reason that you feel unaccepted is you're obviously transgender. And here's a wonderful, go to this website. And there is glitter and rainbows and happiness and Mm -hmm. dancing unicorns and Mm -hmm. everything. It says, you know, you've not been accepted by your peers. You know, because your nose is too big, or you're, you know, you're right. you're Jewish, or you're you're Muslim, or you're 
black or white or you know short or tall or skinny or fat. Right. Um, here is a place where none of that matters. It's a family that accepts you for your authentic self. When you hear authentic self, go running the opposite direction because that is a that's a a buzzword that says you know this is this is somebody with an agenda that's going to ruin your child. Mm-hmm. So these kids get then bolstered with the idea and they're invited to to you know to, to go to the support groups yeah. uh, by without, the school counselor and without parental consent. They they say don't tell your parents. Mm. This is what's and going school, on in the schools. Schools will have actual yeah. policies saying yeah. you may not, not tell the parents unless mm-hmm. the child authorizes So them. between social media and that, that counseling network in schools, these kids are so vulnerable. And right. so that's why the numbers have increased exponentially. Mm. Let me ask you also, last week we talked about the politicized medical associations, the Endocrine Society, the American Association of Pediatrics, who have come out with their affirmation statements and and protocols tell us about what threats individual doctors may face in this area whether an endocrinologist or a psychiatrist or whatever if there's a doctor who doesn't buy into this and who sees that the emperor has no clothes what are the threats to that person's practice? Currently in the academic world, uh, and a number of my endocrine colleagues, most of my endocrine colleagues are in academic medicine. Uh, their positions are threatened if they stand up and say, this is wrong. So what they are forced to do is to say, I will have nothing to do with the transgender clinic at our at our university medical center. I will not refer patients there. I will not be forced to treat patients with hormones. And I'll just shut my mouth otherwise and not complain. Because if you stand up and complain, the pressure for you to lose your position, to be denied publication by journals. So the networking is not only the medical schools, it's the medical journals. The famous ones, the ones that used to be respectable, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Journal of American Academy, or Journal of the American Medical Association, they are routinely publishing articles that that basically tout non-science and this experimentation as good and wonderful and with excellent outcomes. So it's we there's a giant network that that works against the physician, and in the legal terms, uh, the Obama administration is currently started a, a regulation and it's been carried on by the Biden administration to make it Ill- illegal for physicians not to provide transgender care to anybody that asks for care. Uh, especially if you take any government funding. So I take care of Medicaid patients proudly and I'm happy to do so without any limits, but I could be thrown in jail for not providing cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers under the Biden administration's regulations, which are currently being published as we speak. And the basis for that according to them, is non-discrimination. That's right? correct. They've taken the gender identity and turned it into an equivalent of sex with a civil right attached to it. And what about medical schools? Medical yeah. schools are scrambling now to create curriculum because they have been providing these services on sand. You know, Their clinics are based with no foundation whatsoever in science. And now they're trying to go back and scurry around and create let's do a curriculum that and it's basically just a social curriculum because there is no biologic basis for gender identity anywhere not at any cell level anywhere in the body so they're they can't do it with science but they're essentially saying well this is 
we're you know we're we're woke and we're right up in the front and we get recognition in the U.S. News and World Report annual report on children's hospitals. The more transgender kids we have, the higher our point score is, and so uh, they're all vying for recognition that we have a gender clinic. We have a gender clinic. Oh, don't no, we have more patients than you do. No, we publish more than you do, and so all that is the com- competition in academia based on trying to be the most woke institution that they that, and be recognized and and awarded for that what well, let's talk about some practical options for parents whose child says they're trans um what do you suggest that we do even as grandparents as well as parents how can we help well first of all you want to steer away from anybody that says that they are an, a a trained specialist in transgender counseling Okay, because you do not need special training to help a child with severe anxiety and depression, and that's what these kids have at the base. Okay, when you when you they come into your office, you find the histories of divorce, incarceration, alcoholism, drug addiction, um, you know, physical and sexual abuse, mm-hmm. um, buried somewhere in the family or the extended family or the network of, uh, that works within that family's social environment, and it's there. It's it is always there, but it has been buried. And so I tell the counselors that, that I have come to know, when I ask them, would you see this patient for me? They're afraid. They say, I, I'm not trained in this. and I don't know anything about it. I don't know what to do. And I say back to them, can you treat anxiety and depression? Can you unearth the effects of the adverse childhood events in this in this child's family environment and, and, and deal with that? Because that's that's what you do. That's the compassionate thing to do. And when you do that, the 80, 90, 95% of these kids come out from under their, their the idea that their, their gender and, and sex don't match uh, the gen- and, and they come back to the reality that they are who they are, and they're that's it's called you know desistance. Um, it's it's called a myth by the trans activists that it doesn't exist. That those kids that tra- that detransition uh, or desist rather are, were never trans in the first place. Okay. So how do you find somebody that's going to work with your child? Uh, they have a lot of pressure against them as well. Uh, their national organizations are profoundly against uh, what what we would recommend in the way of the of the of the So it's going to take you know, the rest of the world other than the United States and Australia is still going and and so is Canada. But but the, all of Europe essentially is putting the brakes on this because they've seen the data, they've seen the problems that happen when you do this to children, and they are and it's to children specifically. They're they're not talking about adults. Uh, we all know from the your medical problems don't stop when you're 18. Okay, the, the complications are still going to be there. The depression is going to be there, um, and and the and the ruined surgical body is still going to be there. Um, but at any rate, we, we're trying to just focus on saving the children. Uh, and, and what we want to do is to save all humankind from this disastrous concept. Uh, but you, you end up in a situation where you're, you're, you know, your political pressure here in the United States is huge against, against what we are trying to do. And when you have the, 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 essentially all of the governing bodies in our country and the states at the lower levels passing laws that, that say you can't counsel these children, 
and that your you know your offices are going to be shut down and you'll be thrown in jail it's a daunting task to turn the tide around but we will do it you know we pray every day that you know the things that are happening in secular Europe are going to help hopefully hope secular United States right, come get this on track way. Mm-hmm. we have right. a lot of support from the the Council of Bishops on this issue uh, I've been invited to speak at, at Catholic Guild meetings in Atlanta and Milwaukee um, and uh, you know the, hopefully that will increase to, to tell those physicians in the Catholic Medical Association don't buy into this and, and our archbishop in Atlanta sat in on my presentation to the and and, Wonderful. and and the feedback was it was very much appreciated and gave him a lot of information so we're getting more support yeah. but like what are some red flags you know because these parents grandparents they don't know possibly that this is happening well, yeah what are if if your child and maybe the school counselor tells you it that the child is going to commit suicide unless you let you take him or her to a a gender clinic or or whatever what should a parent do should a parent be terrified of that of the suicide threat which by the way is also made on the social media they actually teach kids how to make that threat because that's a good way to emotionally blackmail your parents. But but what should parents who are being told, well, you're going to be responsible for the death of your child if you don't do this? What should they do? They should not cave in at all because they that that myth is is just so evil and used as a as a bludgeon weapon against the parents who love their children and and want them to you know to be who they they were born. Um, and so uh, you you have to basically get published somewhere in things that people will see on television, some news program, some, you know, it, to, where these issues come up and say, this is a myth, because it is a myth. I mean, the, the, the published studies show that it is totally not true. The kids who are trans are going to commit suicide uh, unless you counsel them uh, and, and solve their emotional problems. They all have emotional problems to begin with. And the, the data that they try to prove that uh, not letting them go forward with their change is going to increase their suicide was was a misrepresentation of the data. What they found was that there was no change in suicide, uh, what we call suicidality, threats of suicide, and even with completed suicides, in with any of the kids, it didn't change. It didn't drop at all when you f- affirmed them. What they said it with the improvement was that the group that they did not affirm had far greater problems with suicide. Okay. But the problem was the only people that were left were 20% of the kids that, that did not affirm. So they, they invented the data, uh, which you, which is scientifically so invalid, from a group where they, they lost to follow-up 80% of the people. Do you, do you predict malpractice suits? Oh, they're already starting. Okay. Uh, and against that, the professionals oh, yes. that and, are and, yeah, pushing Dr. Us. McHugh uh, from Hopkins and I sat down and had a wonderful conversation, and he said, the way this will buckle and the house of cards will fall will be with, with legal action against physicians, institutions, pharmaceutical companies, okay. uh, insurance companies that approve this. Okay. And that's that's how it's going to happen. That's it's sad to say. But in the meantime, we could have tens of thousands of kids who are, whose lives are ruined yeah. while we're waiting for that to happen. Dr. Van Meter, we are so grateful for your time, for your expertise, for your knowledge and enlightenment. Thank you so much. You know, we know the devil always overplays his hand, right? And we pray that the good people, like yourself, good people will learn what's going on and they'll reject it. Thank you for getting the word out. I appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you all today. 
Jane, could you close us with a prayer? Certainly. Our Father, we thank you for your many blessings, and we thank you especially for good servants like Quentin Van Meter who are risking their own livelihood and reputation to take a stand for truth. We ask that you would strengthen us all to be able to do the same thing. We pray that you would send your holy angels to cast the devil's demons back into the abyss. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The preceding program was recorded in February of 2023. Any mention of upcoming legislation was in reference to the legislative session that just ended in March. You can hear more about what happened in that legislative session by listening to the Legislation Made Simple episode titled Wrap-Up Report, which aired on April 1st, 2023. All episodes are available on the Quest Atlanta app or at thequestatlanta.com. This has been Legislation Made Simple, keeping you informed on political issues with your hosts, Patty DeCraney and Jane Robbins. Listen again next week at the same time for Legislation Made Simple on AM 1160, The Quest.